There's a new and better way to interact with podcasts. The Clever Podcast app allows you to bookmark, highlight your favorite quotes, and buy recommended products all in one place. You can listen to any public podcast, but we'll have exclusive Haas podcast content only available in our Clever app. So sign up for Clever today at clever.fm and do more than listen. I'm Adam Ward, and this is Here at Haas, a student-run podcast connecting you to all Haasies and the faculty that change our lives. This week on Here at Haas, we are joined by Rita Soleimani, EWMBA class of 2023, a strategic partnerships manager at Color, and a VP for admissions in the EWMBA Association. Welcome to the show, Rita. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. I know we're, we're recording this Saturday morning. You've just gone to dance class with your kid. How are you doing today? It's a, it's a typical Saturday morning. You wake up at seven, at, everything is like, go, 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 until you look at the clock and it's only 10 30 and like okay i've had a whole day in <laughs> three hours <laughs> and i still and energy is like at zero already and you already bring a lot of energy so i wouldn't worry about that but <laughs> i'd love to kick off rita and maybe if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to haas sure so i was born and raised in marrakesh morocco a city that i told near and dear to my heart and i grew up in I'd say my immediate family was a small family. It was myself, my parents, and my sister. There's actually a 10-year difference between my sister and I. So for the longest time, I was an only child. I had both that experience of being the older sibling, but also an only child. And I had the immense privilege of going to an American school. So my parents very early on knew the great advantage, I'd say, or, or the immensity that is the education in the United States. And my father, when he found out about this American school that was being built in my city, he him and along with other parents became what we call the founding fathers and wanted to create a sense of community and the importance of education for these kids. And so enrolled me in there until I graduated high school at the age of 17. And then I came to the U.S. for college. And I'd say I was one of the only ones in my class very early on, I think from like ninth grade or earlier than that, where I've had a trajectory and knew what I wanted to do. So it was always like be a doctor, get into research, go that science route. And there's obviously a reason that we probably will get into later. So I applied to schools with the idea that I would do pre-med and then go to med school and all of that. And I did. I came to the U.S. I went to college. I, I majored in chemistry, focusing on biochemistry. And as I was doing that and working in the lab, I realized the puzzle of it I love but being in the lab was not really for me. But when all your life you've been saying, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a doctor, it's hard to switch from that to explore something else and, and voice that to other people. Everybody, whenever I go back home, your family's like, so how's the trajectory to being a doctor? And you're like, um, it's going. <laughs> you can't really, you don't have the courage to go, I want to explore other things. But I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. And so I still progressed with that and did studied for the MCATs, took them, but realized quickly that applying to med school was going to be a little bit harder because I was an international student. Mm -hmm. at, at the time, I didn't have my green card. So my scores had to be better than the average American. And that is hard enough to begin with. So to mm -hmm. get an average, like a score higher than the average US student was quite difficult. And also, like I said, I realized that Although I loved healthcare and I loved helping people, being a doctor, Timmy was not 
at the end of the day, my calling, because mm-hmm. I wanted to have a larger footprint. Mm-hmm. And when you're a doctor, and I'm not like, not to dismiss, of course, like after what happened this year, I have immense respect for frontline workers and everything mm-hmm. they've done. But when you're a doctor, you wait for your, the patients to come to you. Whereas if you're in a research setting or in what we see now as biotech, mm-hmm. you're touching the lives of many people at the same time. So that's where I started exploring clinical research and got an internship here in the Bay Area and worked my way up as working in clinical trials and managing clinical trials and specifically in clinical operations. And as people probably know from last year with vaccine development, clinical trials are a highly regulated environment. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be working in a day-to-day, especially in operations and managing how trials are conducted, eventually it becomes a repetitive job. Mm-hmm. You're an executor in the sense that you know what the regulations are, you abide to those, and you just manage per those set of criteria. And I started also working at the program management level, so partnering with other cross-functional groups mm-hmm. and working with them, and specifically business development and like I love to see how whenever I was in a meeting, there were super smart people around me and how their thought process came together to the point that we came to a decision and that was the one that we acted upon. I loved that entire process. And so that is what drew me slowly to having that business mentality and, and thinking, okay, business school will give me that versatility and that toolkit that I might need to branch into something else, maybe business development, maybe alliance management or market development. And that's why business school sort of for me. Haas really was the only school I applied to. Mm-hmm. I It came to my attention through a colleague of mine and a close friend of mine who also did the EW MBA program and told me about it. And so I started by auditing a class that was not one of the auditing, like the classes that we audit, like Mm -hmm. none of the core classes. I went straight to this weekend one credit class with between Haas and the School of Public Health. And they brought a speaker from Kaiser, I believe at the time, and it was with Kim McPherson. Immediately it was in the arena that I loved and bridging both business and healthcare. And I fell in love. And then I attended all the events that were held by the admissions office (laughs) for prospective students. I went to every single one of them to the point that eventually I started knowing a lot about the program and would answer questions and they go, so what class are you? And I go, actually, I haven't applied yet. And it just felt like home. Like Mm -hmm. I was part of the community and Mm -hmm. so I was like it's either this or nothing this feels right Right. for me which is why I put all my eggs in one basket I applied to only house (laughs) thank god it worked out (laughs) 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 it would have been pretty bad if I hadn't gotten in but so that's a long-winded way to answer your question yeah this Mm -hmm. is (laughs) a little bit about my background that's that's the interview. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> no, Rita, I actually only applied to house too, so I completely sympathize with that with that approach. It felt like home, so went for it. I would love to unpack some of your interest in healthcare because I saw in your LinkedIn that you've put that the key thing that you want to work on is innovating for betterment of people's health. And you touched mm-hmm. on that in that intro, but would love to understand a little bit more about why healthcare is such an important thing for you. I think two reasons. The Personal, but also that ambitious goal. Mm-hmm. As that with that ambitious or like kind of life, like mission-driven uh, reason, the U.S. is uh, 
very developed country, if not the most developed country. Yet when we look at our healthcare, we have a big issue in terms of healthcare access. There's a lot of companies that innovate in terms of healthcare every day and develop all these tools and, and drugs and medical devices that definitely would make a huge difference in how patients are treated and how they're cared for. But the one thing I think that we still lack, despite all the innovation, is access to underserved communities, to communities who are due to infrastructure, for instance, are not close to that big hospital that has all the access to these new drugs or these trials. And so I think the more developed a country becomes, the harder actually access to healthcare for remote places and for underserved communities becomes. So that's one of the reasons why, yes, we do need to innovate, but there's also an aspect of innovation of not just producing new drugs and and, and new devices, but how do we deliver all of this to patients? That, but going back to that, I wanna touch as many patients as possible, especially patients who are from underprivileged backgrounds and help give them the best access to healthcare they can, just mm-hmm. like anybody else. There's also, from a personal perspective, I grew up with a parent who's been sick pretty much my whole life. Mm-hmm. My father was diagnosed with kidney failure when I was mm-hmm. two. And he went through dialysis for about six years, seven mm-hmm. years, right mm-hmm. after that, where I remember a lot of my childhood, like many evenings were spent at the dialysis clinic, mm-hmm. both of us playing chess and like me catching up on homework because his work ethic was very strong and he Mm -hmm. loved what he did. I'd say workaholic was a a good adjective to describe him. And so really the, the time that we had together was when he finished his work at the end of the day and would go to the dialysis clinic. It was close to home where I would meet him there and we would spend time there. But be lying if I said it didn't impact me, right? Mm-hmm. Growing up with a sick right. parent, because you also don't know a lot when you're young. And my family was not the type of family that would sit me down and tell me everything. Mm-hmm. I had so many questions, but mm-hmm. I didn't have answers. So I took it upon myself many times to actually do my own research and, and look up things. I remember mm-hmm. later on, like when I was in my early teens, I believe, 13 or something like that, mm-hmm. my father had a number of complications even after getting a, a kidney transplant mm-hmm. like when I was eight or so. He had other complications and whatnot, and he had at one point a tumor, and I heard mm-hmm. like the word tumor, and nobody mm-hmm. would tell me what it was. And I took the dictionary at the mm-hmm. time, like the whole action, <laughs> the book. <laughs> <laughs> and looked up what a tumor is and I went mm-hmm. out to them and I remember reading out loud and then going, okay, now I know what it says, but I don't understand it. So can mm-hmm. you explain it to me? But so yeah, growing up with a sick parent and, and seeing there were bouts, there were good days, there were bad days mm-hmm. and there were really bad days to the point like sometimes once he went in a coma for 50 days and you were like wondering, is he going to come out of it or not? Mm-hmm. And knowing that he lost his mother also to kidney failure Mm -hmm. because at the time dialysis did not exist Mm -hmm. or was not really available in Morocco. I had this thing in me where I didn't want anybody else to go through the same experience I did, especially Mm -hmm. not a child, to not have those answers. Mm -hmm. So that's why really healthcare for me. That's why research. And I think he pushed me or propelled me into research. Mm -hmm. His background, he had a PhD in economics and was so different from that science background, but he was always amazed by it. 
and would buy me a lot of books about like mm -hmm. lab research, like from such an early age. And, and we would do all these like experiments at home and whatnot. He propelled me to it to, to the point where I fell in love with it and, mm -hmm. and took it as my own thing. And yeah, so when he passed away when I was 16, mm -hmm. on the brisk of actually going to college, that was more of like, that doubled my reasoning to mm -hmm. pursue what I did. And I think that's one of the reasons also I was a little bit reluctant to say, Hey, so I don't want to be a doctor anymore. Right. <laughs> it's it's this thing where everybody knew my relationship with my dad and how mm -hmm. close we were. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons was that commonality and to, for the love of science and mm -hmm. research. And it's not like I dropped that. I'm still working in healthcare and I still love science and I still work in research, but it's just, it's different from what everybody is used to. I guess, at least back home for my family, not everybody's very familiar with clinical trials right. and all of that. Thank you for sharing that story. And you can definitely see not only your passion for healthcare come through that story, but also the work that you do to help people learn things. You're a, one of our academic reps in the Gold Cohort and that, that image of you going to find out what the word tumor meant and finding that information, you can definitely see the parallels with that and doing research now and right, finding more knowledge and all those sorts of things. So thank you for sharing that story, Rita. I would love to explore a little further about how you've taken your passion for healthcare to Berkeley. I see you're a member of the Haas Healthcare Association and together as a group, you had a conference called Finding New Breath emerging stronger through health crises at the beginning of the year. And I'd love to ask you to expand a little bit about what were some of the key learnings from that conference? How can we emerge stronger after this terrible pandemic that we're all in right now? The House Healthcare Conference is actually one that is fairly known, uh, at least here in the Bay Area. I've attended it as a prospective student. I see, again, going back to making sure I went to all the events that I was invited, but it was one. It was a club that I knew I wanted to be a part of, mm -hmm. and I'm very fortunate to be a VP of careers of an alumni in that club. But specifically for that conference, I wanted to take part of it because pre-COVID, whenever we talk about, especially in the Bay Area, whenever we talk about healthcare, it's healthcare mm -hmm. tech or digital mm -hmm. health, and we we throw these words of like health tech and digital health. But you don't really necessarily know what they mean, or they could be mm -hmm, used mm -hmm. inter interchangeably. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hit, and it's like, okay, we know what digital health is now. We know what health tech is, and we know what the purpose of a drug and a vaccine and a medical device is. We have all these this education that the average person now knows about, but how do we take the learnings from what we've gathered over the last 18 months and apply that to the future so that we're ready for a potential future pandemic or we're ready for getting just in the immediate future, getting a number of people still educated about the vaccine and, and encourage them based on the learnings that they gathered to get vaccinated. I, I joined the content team for that and specifically the COVID pandemic subgroup because it was right when I actually joined Color. So for those who don't know, Color is a well, it started as a genomics company back in 2015. In a similar vein to 23andMe, collecting saliva samples and doing sequencing and returning cancer, cardiovascular and pharmacogenetics health history. And you probably know about it because we we give it, we partner with a number of employers like Salesforce. Yeah, I've done it. Offer... I've got my free box and I tried it. So. Awesome. <laughs> Thankfully, everything was okay. I remember messaging you being like, Rita, I get to try your company's product for free. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, it gives you this information, right? We like, I guess the theme today is all about health information and getting mm-hmm. educated about your health as well. But it allows um, people to take advantage of that preventative route and and gathering info about their DNA and whether or not they are positive, for example, a cancer gene like BRCA. But color, when it was built, their lab is in-house, right? And what they do is in-house sequencing of the samples we receive. The lab was built such that it was fully automated system. And when COVID hit, they realized a opportunity, I'd say, Mm -hmm. in the worst of situations, Mm -hmm. wherein they could leverage the automation of the lab and do COVID testing Mm in-house and return results as quickly as possible. And so they partnered with SF City and SF Public Health to do that. And so they've been taking more and more ownership and involvement, not only at the state level here in California, but at at the country level, nation level, partnering with other states as well for COVID testing mm-hmm. with California public schools also with a number of employers mm-hmm. as well as we work on return back to work and then also developing software to assist with scheduling for vaccines, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so when the opportunity arose for me to be part of the content team for the Haas Healthcare Conference, I knew I wanted to bring a member of color to speak to that and, mm-hmm. and speak about our involvement in COVID, the COVID pandemic, because I'm still amazed by what they've been able to do mm-hmm. in such a short period. And I keep saying they because I work in genomics, so I feel like <laughs> I'm not part of the COVID world <laughs> in a day-to-day. I'm still pre-COVID, and I think it's slowly picking up again now where we're focusing again on genomics, but the team at Color that handles all the COVID product development is high class, stellar, very efficient, very productive, but super humble, and I couldn't be more amazed by what they have achieved. But it was a great team effort working with the full-time students at Haas and learning from them and hearing about their perspectives, some coming from consulting, some mm-hmm. coming from like other internships that they've done over the summer with Kaiser and other companies and, and just really getting that breadth of knowledge about mm-hmm. COVID over the last year. And I was very fortunate to have our Color CEO, Afma Loraki, join us and provide the private perspective. Rita, a question I had was for people listening, you mentioned full-time MBA students. I think people come into the MBA and want to pivot into healthcare. You work for a very prestigious company in healthcare and in digital tech. So what advice do you have for people who want to use the MBA and pivot into healthcare? For healthcare, really the number one thing you need to have is that mission-driven purpose. If you care about something, some segment within healthcare and want to advance it, that's half the job already done because you're going to go and do your research and and learn about it. And you're going to have your own ideas and how to to advance it or how to change that, how we're conducting certain things. Healthcare is one of those industries where it's actually a melting pot of different backgrounds. You get, you still get marketing, you still get the business development, you still get engineers. And most often than not, engineers actually have never worked in the healthcare industry when they come. So like my previous company, most of the engineers came from Google and didn't know a single thing about clinical trials, but they learned by doing it, right? That's why you have 
what we call the health experts, obviously, the, mm-hmm. the scientists, the, mm-hmm. the medical directors, etc. But you also have these experts who don't necessarily work in the healthcare industry, but bring a breadth of knowledge to apply to healthcare. Going into healthcare and pivoting into it, I think is very easy as long as you have that mission. I'd say I, for one, for example, know next to nothing about insurance. Mm-hmm. And, and insurance reimbursement, but that's something that I want to learn about. And, and that will help me as I'm working through ideas about health access mm-hmm. to underserved communities, but you don't really need to be an expert in a single thing. And I think that's one of the key things we also learn in business school is not mm-hmm. necessarily knowing the answer, but knowing who to go to to get mm-hmm. the answer mm-hmm. or how to get that answer. I think it's a noble field to be in, just like many others. And we definitely need more smart, intelligent people in the room. I'm always a proponent of anybody who wants to make the the switch into healthcare. In fact, mm-hmm. Adam, we could definitely use your marketing expertise. <laughs> I was going to joke. I I think I've told you this before, but all of my family are doctors. So my brother and sister really? are doctors. My parents are both doctors. My brother and sister are both married doctors. So I'm the only one in the family who's not in healthcare. So Rita, maybe that's maybe the an opportunity for me. I did not know <laughs> that. I know, I know. It's interesting hearing your story because I have a lot of similarities, a lot of medicine around around my family as well. My cousins, doctors. Another thing that you do is that you're a VP of admissions for the EWMBA Association. And I would love if you could share some of your experiences about that role and maybe some of the common questions that you receive from applicants who are looking to figure out if Berkeley is the right place for them. I applied for that position because I was an admissions ambassador. And for those who don't know, admissions ambassadors are current students who are connected to applicants, especially in because there's a common theme between you. For example, I typically speak to women who are interested in in business school or parents or people who are coupled. And I loved that opportunity. And I wanted to turn that favor back, just like I've learned so much from the current students. I wanted to return that to perspectives. And so when the applications opened for VP positions, I specifically applied to that one, wanted to continue sharing my experience, but also looking at different ways to do that, right? And more on a one-on-one basis, potentially, because there, there were many weekends, I remember from especially pre-round one and round two applications, where I would spend like about two, three hours on the phone with prospective students and mm-hmm. just really, it was just getting to know people and chatting mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. sharing my experience and talking about the program. And I've only been in this program for what, <laughs> eight, nine months now. <laughs> so I'm by no means an expert or know all of it, but it gives you that real perspective of what is business school like. And when you really ask about work-life balance, it's one thing to hear the program office talk mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. but some people in the program office have gone through the program, so they know, but others don't necessarily. But when you're talking to, with a current student who's lived through COVID and doing remote classes, mm-hmm. it's a much different perspective. I'm VP with four other great EWMBA students from class of 23 and 2022. And we work, of course, with Yasmin from the program office. And our goal right now is to make sure that, because we had round one and round two admits mm-hmm. already, mm-hmm. decisions sent out, and they've made their decision. They sent mm-hmm. in their statement of intent. And then we have round three coming up. So we're thinking of ideas of events to do, of course, 
remotely, to answer any questions, to call them individually or send out an email and ask mm -hmm. if they have any questions about the program and make sure they have all the information to mm -hmm. make their decision of whether or not to join Haas. So that's our focus right now. I think another thing that we're trying to do in the future, maybe when we're back in person, is having more one-on-one -on -one coffee mm -hmm. chats with prospective students and really giving them that opportunity to maybe come out on campus and, and mm -hmm. see Haas and meet students who potentially are from the same industry or mm -hmm. have the same goals as they do. That's an awesome plan. I remember speaking to a couple of people in the year above who worked at the same company as me. And I, it's those one-to-one -one conversations that are super powerful that help you get through. Yeah. And Rita, I'd be interested if you could share your experience to those people who are interested in applying and have kids parents who are interested in applying like what advice do you have for them i have to give credit where credit is due i would not be able to do what i do today and participate in all these extracurricular activities and be fully involved at haas if it weren't for my husband mm -hmm. er, very early on he knew that i wanted to get a graduate degree but mm -hmm. way before when we first met and he always encouraged me to do my own thing but doing this part-time meant that we all like there were sacrifices that we had to make and doing this part-time with a kid is an even more of a challenge i think my husband and i are very similar in the, in the sense that we're both ambitious people and we have what we call passion projects mm. i consider Haas my like self-care journey like, it's, it's all <laughs> what do you mean by <laughs> this that is, I, i'm doing this for myself mm -hmm. i i've been wanting this and I finally found my calling, if you will. Mm. So I'm going full in and doing as much as possible and getting involved as much as possible and and meeting super smart and genuinely humble people that I've been so lucky to meet over the past year. So whenever I get invited to something, unless I absolutely cannot do it because I have to care for my daughter or I'm working, I'm in, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> so when I got admitted, we sat down and talked through, all right, I, I know that I'm doing evening classes and I want to be involved. And we had, at the time when I was accepted, my daughter was six, seven months old mm -hmm. and we were working from home because it was COVID. Mm -hmm. We still are. Okay. And yeah, <laughs> my husband also has what we call his fashion projects, but it's his lifelong projects of creating his startup and mm -hmm. he's been working on it for a couple of years now. So it takes up his whole time, his whole free time as well. So we both respect that. And we both know that this is temporary kind of in our life. So we divide our time when on days that I don't have class, for instance, or I don't have any house specific meetings, I take care of my daughter. And on days that I do have class, or for example, right now I'm doing the podcast, mm -hmm. he's taking care of her. We're dividing it as best as possible still trying to do 50 50 <laughs> some days it's not but having that support is crucial i'd say it probably would have been a little bit harder if my daughter was older in the mm. sense where she knew what i was doing because for her it's just i'm in school and usually i'm in school in the evenings right after she's gone to bed so i'm not losing time mm. spent with her mm -hmm. had she been a little bit older older maybe it would have a, a deeper impact on her but i also want to set that example for her where it doesn't matter what stage in life you are mm -hmm. you can still go ahead and, and pursue 
your dreams, mm-hmm. as cliche as that sounds, mm-hmm. and you could still go and, and be whoever you want, and you could still change your mind and, and find your niche at the age of 30. Mm-hmm. <laughs> still a young age. But it's wonderful to see that passing down of your dad instilling that love of education and science to you and that you want to do that intentionally to your daughter as well. So that's a wonderful thread and throughout yeah. your family. So that's really important. I would love it if she goes into also like something that is meant to help her community and the larger mm-hmm. population. But I also know that I've been in a situation where to the point that I started wanting what people wanted for me mm-hmm. and it was hard for me to, to change my mind or make that decision. So I also want to be a little bit hands off and go do whatever you want to be <laughs> and figure it out on your own as hard as it is for me as I'm a control <laughs> freak. <laughs> so it's finding the right balance and I'm really, I'm not there yet to be quite honest. I'm still working on myself. Like I said, this is my self-care journey and this is part of figuring out who I am and who I want to be for my next chapter. Well, extenuating that to your next chapter, when this passion project of the MBA is complete, what do you want to do? What do you want to use your MBA? What's the next chapter look like? I walked into the MBA thinking I wanted to go into business development, Mm -hmm. right? The partnerships between different healthcare segments and, and collaborating together to innovate, but also broaden the access. But I feel like I'm in that explorer phase now mm. where I've just pivoted. I'm learning about strategic partnerships. I'm also learning about the business development side of it. And I've recently just been told that I will also go into market development and developing mm. our uh, a new segment, which is great. I'll take all the experience and learnings that I can get. So I'm still finding my way. I do know that eventually and i feel weird saying this every time and, and i think it's a it's a thing that we women need to be more comfortable saying mm-hmm. i do want to get to the c-suite level mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i don't know if it's a ceo or some c something some executive level but that would meet my personal goals on a larger kind of giving back and working for my community, I want to give back to, on a larger role or giving back to my community, I want to be able to take part in making sure that healthcare is no longer a commodity, it's mm-hmm. a given. Mm-hmm. It's everybody has access to it and the same level of healthcare. Mm-hmm. I've been in a situation, for example, going back to my father, where he was, be, we were very privileged in the sense that he was being treated with doctors in France. Mm-hmm. Because the level of healthcare in, in, in Morocco was not sufficient enough to meet the, the needs that he needed. Mm-hmm. He had he even got his transplant back in France. I don't think that is fair anymore. Look at just COVID vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not all getting the same one. There's vaccines that have less effectiveness, some are almost close to 50% that are being sold to underdeveloped countries as opposed to you get here in the US, everybody, most people are getting like Pfizer or Moderna that mm-hmm. are over 95% effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That should not be the case. That's my purpose after business school. How am I going to achieve that? I don't quite know yet. I'm still learning. I'm still figuring it out. But that's my carrot that's dangling in front of me, if you will. That's incredible to hear. And 
I'm so excited for you to be at the C-suite leading one day and driving to that purpose. <laughs> I'm very excited you. for your journey, Rita. You got to be a chief marketing officer right there with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the campaign to get me to start into healthcare begins today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Rita, to finish off this interview, I'd love to timestamp this because we'll be releasing this interview around the end of Ramadan. And I'm just... Mm -hmm would love for you to share some of the traditions or customs that you have as a family to mark the end of Ramadan. Ramadan is my favorite time of the year. It's a time where everybody slows down. Mm -hmm. It is a month where Muslims fast from sunrise to sundown. No food, no water, no gums, no chewing gum, no nothing, no smoking. So anybody who has a vice, unfortunately, can't do that for that period. And the purpose of it is twofold. Mm -hmm. It's one, to get to know and experience what a typical day is like for people who are underprivileged mm -hmm. and who work really hard to find food and feed their families and many often than not they actually unfortunately can't or they don't mm -hmm. make enough to feed sufficiently their entire family mm -hmm. and it's also a time where you get to slow down and mm -hmm. you pause and you remove all this noise around your day-to-day -day mm -hmm. that your routine and get closer to god and get more spiritual and do some self and reflection also and, and put your spirituality a little bit at the front and center for that one month period. I love it. It's my favorite time of the year. I love the traditions around it. Any tradition that you talk about in my culture circles around food. So there's a number <laughs> of like, treats and whatnot, but it's not really the purpose, but it's there and you can't not taste and eat all the delicious food that is cooked up but it's also I love it because of the sense of community that it brings together people come and going and visiting others and at the end of the people are staying up until four or five in the morning and playing cards or spending more time with their families or going to the mosques to pray and coming back home and having their second meal and it's just a joyful period mm. and it, despite the hunger that you might feel or and or that time that you're taking away like from like screens or from your day-to-day -day and spending it with you it's actually a beautiful serene time that i look forward to every year for my family really and how we celebrate ramadan and the end of it especially now with my daughter i want to pass on not only the traditions but the learnings about the religion to her mm -hmm. and so we've done a couple decorations because it's like i would equate it and this is probably not the best uh, comparison, but it's like Christmas for us. <laughs> we get a whole month of celebration. So we also decorate. We right. also have our like advent calendar where she takes one every day and she learns a little bit about a good deed that she has to do. And so I'm slowly getting her to learn a little bit about it. But it's also exciting for me because I'm also learning things from her perspective. Right. Well. And at the end of Ramadan is marked but after 29 or 30 days of fasting because we follow the lunar mm -hmm. year. It's marked by uh, what we call Eid. And there are, in, in Islam, there are two big celebrations or two Eids. There's mm -hmm. the Eid at the end of Ramadan, and then there's Eid al-Adha, which is the one where we sacrifice the sheep. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole other story related to that. And so on Eid, you wake up early in the morning, and for kids, obviously, you get them little gifts. Like, typically, it's like new clothes that they wear for that day. And you go to, and this is, again, not COVID times, but you wake up early and you go to the mosque mm -hmm. and everybody's dressed up in their new clothes and looking for, like super fresh and you go and you do the eighth prayer and you come back home. And of course, it's our traditions are all 
circling around food and so mm-hmm. there's like a special breakfast that you have mm-hmm. and you eat that breakfast with your immediate family mm-hmm. and then you get ready to like go start visiting from house to house all your mm-hmm. other family members your aunts your, uh, your uncles your grandparents the cousins or everybody will just congregate in one house typically the grandparents house and you get to see everybody and share well wishes but it's also at the end of ramadan where we do what we call zakat so you give back Mm-hmm. to to the underprivileged you've either throughout the ramadan you've saved enough to donate money or mm-hmm. there's a specific calculation that you do and you gather that and you donate it either that morning when you go to the mosque or during the day but it has mm-hmm. to be done during the okay. day so that kind of marks the end of ramadan thank you very much rita and eid mubarak for the end of ramadan thank you thank <laughs> you so much it was Great chatting with you, and I would love it one day to organize a Eid for our Haas community and celebrate with everyone. But until then, thanks for having me. Of course, I would love that. And for those listening, thank you for tuning into Here at Haas. Know a Haasi that has a story to tell? Nominate them on our website, haaspodcast.org. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. It really does help. And of course, share this episode with your favorite bears. Until next time, I'm Adam Ward, and this is Here at Haas.